Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man Andy Gillard here. Hope you're all keeping well right now. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Hope everyone is splendid as always. I was really thinking of the words to Weatherman by Bewitch then, but I've just completely forgot them. <laughs> Hello everyone. <laughs> I don't know what the more disturbing part of that sentence is, that you've forgotten the words or there's actually a song by Bewitched and you know it. Blame it on the Weatherman. I'm still none the wisest, no, Jeff. Sorry, no, not a clue. How can you not know that? It was like a. It was one of their like four big songs. Blame. I only remember one. Yeah, you remember. You remember Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Because they were they were going to play. Um, remember strike where strikers was the club over the road from there. Yeah. They were bewitched. We're going to play the under 18s night. What the Polish club? No, not the ECC. Not no. <laughs> There's like a where Strikers is, or whatever it's called now. Um, or Sega, where Sega World was. The other side, is, you're probably too young for Sega World. The other side of the road, there was like this proper like nightclub bar thing. Not the Polish club. The other, not that side of the road. The other side of the road. No, it's not ringing any bells. The Goodyear side of the road. Yeah. What was Goodyear? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you're thinking of the way towards. Towards where that chip, big chippy is. Mm. Now that there was anyway, there was this under 18s club, and they, they were they were bewitched, were booked to play there the week before Sailor V came out. But then Sailor oh, okay. V got leaked, and it was massive, so they cancelled on us. Yeah, there was a club. Can we just stop there? <laughs> <laughs> on us? Oh god, this cuts deep, doesn't it? Let's do this. <laughs> So there was a club at Merry Hill, the shopping centre, um, called Millennium, and they used to do an under-18 night. And the first time I went, Bewitched were there. And it was Fox a few sake. weeks. Yeah, it was a few weeks before Sailor V came out. So, yeah, I, I did see them. But, like, no one knew who they were. They were just... Why were you both at... Was we were under-18? Pop, pop under-18 nightclubs. Because I was like thirteen years old. Yeah, couldn't you, to, couldn't you have gone to Generation and fingered a goth girl or something? <coughs> the, no, well, not that I'm, from, I'm from Dudley, so there was no real places oh, like course. that to go. Yeah, I forget. So it was literally just under eighteen millennium, where you go and chirps girls, and then that was chirps. pretty much that was your night done. But then I got to the point where like. I think I went from about 13 to 15. And then by the time I was 16, I was going to the over 18 millennium. Mm, so like, yeah. they'd ID me for under 18 millennium. Like you're definitely over 18. Like, no, mate, I'm a child. So I was like, well, I might as well just get to the proper one if that's what they think. Well, so I remember. Go on, Jay, sorry. I say this is the, this must have been the same Bewitched tour. And it, it, he got to see him and I didn't. This is not fair. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's wasted on me, as you very well know, with yeah. my musical taste. Yeah. I mean, when, when, when me and Dean saw Darius live in Blackpool. I mean, that was that was amazing. But seeing Bewitched at the time would have been better. I've seen Darius live. My uh, my friends bought me tickets to go with us. I was like, okay, whatever. I got me. It was fun. I don't like, know it's not Darius really my is. kind of thing. Yes, you do, uh, you do know pop, who Darius is. Pop Idol, Pop Stars. 
he was the one who was a pretentious prick when he did Hit Me Baby One More Time. Oh, yes, I do know who that is. He re- he and then he rehabbed, head. didn't he? Yeah. yeah, he had a bit of a rehab. Um, yeah, Colour- like my mate booked me tickets. So, okay, fine. And hey, it was all right. Colourblind is a really good song. It's a really good cheesy pop song. Yeah, it's a decent pop anthem almost, I'd say. Do you think someone, let you know, his, of his career would... Um, Come on, here. Have haven't? Yeah, <laughs> yes, probably. Let's make okay. A, let's get him on Twitter, and we'll get him on. B, do you think he's like made enough money to retire now? Because according oh, to this, he was in um, he was in um, Imperium. Oh, produced. He produced it. Absolutely. Oh, okay. It's loaded. It's got to be. He, he strikes me as the kind who would probably have gone into like musical theatre and stuff as well. So I reckon he's. Probably still working, but just not mainstream music that we'd particularly know about. He, cha- he, he changed his surname as well from Dinesh to something else to be more like more Western. Who was his ex? Let's have a look at this. Natasha Henstridge. <gasps> oh, I from Species. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Okay. 2011 to 2018. Darius Campbell is his yep. name now. There you go. Which I'm is, sure yeah, it's I'm sure very just, Scottish. It's really just changed name to Nathan Judah. Let's be honest. <laughs> they do look quite similar looking on uh, on Google at him. So it's Darius Campbell. Let's see if he's on Twitter. He is. Quite blue ticked and everything. See, so this is this is how the magic happens. Yeah, he has not tweeted anything since 2019. No. Boo. Right, if anyone out there knows where Darius is and can like <laughs> have, have a conversation with him on our behalf, please do so and we'll see if we can get him on. And tell him not to bring his guitar. We don't really need that. That's not the vibe we're going for on this. <laughs> I mean, Darius singing Blame It on the Weather Band would be great. <laughs> Bringing it back into the actual topic. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we are here to talk about a film called The Weatherman. Uh, I knew about this film, and I think I saw it in maybe 2006. There was a little bit of, I don't think it was Oscar buzz, but I think it might have been Golden Globes talking about Cage at that point. Um, So I I vaguely remember watching it around that time. Um, Did either of you two know this film, or is this new to you? Uh, I, I, I don't know anything about it, but I just knew the cover. I knew the cover art from somewhere. I don't know where. I just, I just know it. I could when we, when you said we were doing it, I thought right. I know what. I know the cover art. Um, I, even the alternative one that makes me think that this film was going to be like falling down. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, yeah, I, I knew, but I didn't know anything about the film itself and, and the plot. Mm. Stu, is this one new on you, or have you got a bit of a history with it as well? I've, I've somehow seen me, which it, it clicked halfway through. I thought I remember this. Mm. I don't know why or how or when or where, but I, I'm, I've seen it somehow. It might have been one of them things where I've kind of I've watched it on a ca- like half asleep on a couch or something. Yeah, just stumbled but, across it. Yeah, but it, it was one I, I I definitely knew what it was before. Mm. Mm. I mean, looking at the cast, obviously Michael Caine and Nicholas Holt are probably the only two real names. I, I recognise his wife. 
but I, I couldn't tell you what her name was. I've seen her in a few bits of like maybe American sitcoms and mm. maybe like a walk on in 24 or something like that. But I didn't know her, but obviously Michael Caine is quite a big hitter and we've got a very young Nicholas Holt in this movie. Michael Caine's not someone we've ever mentioned before. Um, are we fans of his work in general or what do we think? Oh, absolutely. Mm. I, I love him. I'm sure we've mentioned him we talking about the the great film of all time, Tenet, and stuff like that. Um, and when we've we've spoke about um, Nolan films and things, but yeah, I've got no problem with Michael Caine. I really like him, and I did play Michael Caine in a, in a drama stage play back in 1999 as well. So. Do the accent, oh, come on then. No, I ain't doing it now. I ain't done it for years. Um, but that was this is, <laughs> this is this is the nonce play that you did, Stu? No, that was the nonce play was the year before. Excuse me. <laughs> You but, know the one where he said, come to bed with daddy no, or I something said, like that. <laughs> I had to, being the hard-hitting uh, drama actor that I was at the time, no one wanted to do anything so so dark. And I said, okay, I'll do it then. And my, the, the killer line for the adjudicators in the crowd was to, very well, this is my mate's girlfriend as well, playing a daughter. And she was very well developed for her age, which made no sense at all. But... When we were what fifteen at the time, and I had to sit in front of everyone. I had to go stand there, get in bed, and say, "Can Daddy get in with you? Because Daddy's cold." Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the um, it was basically a rip off of Stella Street, where I was, I was Michael Caine. Mm. Goldie, Goldie was Michael Flatley, and he could only speak through dance. <laughs> <laughs> so Quite. you tell it how ridiculous that was, but yeah, Michael Caine, great. Mm. We need to get Goldie on to give us some more tales of Stu Hall's history as well. I think. Yeah, we need to. Uh... Goldie, make sure you let us know when you're free and available. We need to get you on, mate. We need more info. <laughs> uh, Matt, Michael Caine, thoughts? Uh, it's give or take for me, really. Like, I, I, I can't think of many films I've seen him in as as the leading man, apart from mm. the Italian job. Yeah. Um, to be honest, so you know, in the Kingsman, he's fantastic, and in in Batman, he's fantastic. And but I haven't seen a lot of his work when he is a leading man, so it feels hard to judge him either way, really. Mm, um, that's fair. Yeah, but in in this, well, I'm sure we'll get into a lot more detail about his performance. Hmm. So the director on this one is Gore Verbinski, um, a director I've got very little time for, generally speaking. So he started out his career doing advertisements, probably most famous for the Budweiser frogs. That's the level we're pitching at with this. <laughs> um, so he did. He then went on to do Mouse Hunt, The Mexican, The Ring, three of the Pirates of Caribbean films, Rango, The Lone Ranger, and A Cure for Wellness, which is so bad. I, I wanted to make you two watch this film for one of the, uh, the breaks from Cage. Just so you have to suffer the pain that I went through watching this movie. <laughs> it's nearly three hours long. And the last half an hour is so bad, but it's really funny. But you've got to sit through like nearly two and a half hours of just dirge to get there. It's horrific. So like, pretty much everything else he's done. I think there's only Rango that I haven't seen. And all the rest I've got no time for. I think they're shit. They're mostly badly directed, badly written Drek. Not my cup of tea at all. So based purely, if I'd have just said, someone had said, oh, go and watch Gore Verbinski, 
I wouldn't have watched this film. I'm, I'm mm. glad that I, I did. I looked beyond that. Um, any of those films that you're fans of, though? Do you imagine you're a Pirates fan? Oh, are. Of course. Mm. Wonderful. They're the, terrible. It's it's Fast and Furious on the sea. Which makes no sense why you don't like it. Well, they're, they're well no, because we know why you don't like it, because John Depp's in it. Yeah, I mean, he can fuck off in the hardest <laughs> way possible. Matt, anything there for, for you? I uh, I quite enjoyed Rango. Mm. In It was a bit... Um, it was a bit... How do I put it? It was a bit experimental, though, wasn't it, Rango? It wasn't quite as run-as-the-mill kids animated film at all. Um, but I quite enjoyed it. Parts of the Caribbean, the first one I quite enjoy, and it quickly dilutes into the Johnny Depp show. It's kind of like dragging a dragging a wrestling mm. gimmick out for like the gimmick battle royal in WrestleMania seventeen or X seven yeah. or whatever it is. Um, I can give or take with them, to be fair. Um, but there are some real ups and downs in that list of the films uh, in the films that he's done. So, and. Now you mentioned the ones that I have seen, I've no idea where this film comes into his, his thinking. No. It's totally out of the blue for everything else that he's got on his list. Mm. It's a weird one. So this film is described on IMDb as a Chicago weatherman separated from his wife and children debates whether professional and personal success are mutually exclusive. This wind system will keep pushing colder air across the Midwest. Our Sprint Sniffer of the Week, just 24. I don't like his face. No, I like him. He's handsome. My job's very easy. Two hours a day, basically reading prompts. Hey, weatherman! Every couple months, someone throws something at me. I receive a large reward for pretty much zero effort and contribution. The shakes and stuff are a reaction to that, I think. Why would someone throw a shake at you? You just read the weather. Shelly. She's doing great. It's fruitless for Shelly to be dancing. She should find another interest that would be more rewarding to her. We've talked about that. Well, you should do something, son. My father's Robert King's Pretzel. He was a great writer and a great dad. You always worry about your kids. No matter how old, there's always looking after. Noreen! Ow! What are you doing? I was just... You turned into it. I encouraged Shelly to explore some other activities and interests. She picked archery. Ow! Don't forget the tartar sauce. Tartar sauce. Tartar sauce. Tartar sauce. Tartar sauce. Anything else? No. Where is the tartar sauce? I thought you were trying to improve matters. I am. Give me time to get it together. I can get it together. Well, that's great. Do you know that the harder thing to do and the right thing to do Usually the same thing. Let's go, Team Sprint! Easy doesn't enter into grown-up life. To get anything of value, you have to sacrifice. There's a lesson here. Let's finish. People don't throw things at me anymore. Maybe because I carry a bow around. Hey, hello, weatherman. It's not easy. But easy doesn't enter into grown-up life. Okay, let it go. Awesome. (laughs) 
The film begins with Dave Spritz, that's Nick Cage, preparing for a shift at the weatherman. Uh, false smiles and awkward movements. I immediately felt as though this guy was a shell. Like straight off the bat, I felt like he's a man who presents one way, but maybe feels something else inside and he doesn't quite know which one's real and which one's not. Like immediately, just from that opening scene, I thought, I, I like the way that he's showing us this character just mm. from the simple movement of smiling into a mirror. I thought it was really well done. Quite a strong opening, I thought. For Told us a lot with very little, I thought was the, how he did it. Mm, I mean, there's always, I think it's poo-pooed on a lot, an internal monologue to kind of set the scene with something. But as soon as it started, I felt, Mm, there's something about this already that like that, that there's going to be layers to there's going to be layers to this and, and it's not going to be quite as um how do I put it kind of as paint by numbers as I thought it was going to be straight away um and I was interested from the start which is quite rare for a non-explosive Nick Cage film at times <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely Steve what, what did you think of just that the scene setting of Nicholas Cage pacing around and looking awkward, even though he was trying to present himself in a different way. Hell yeah! Because when he's <laughs> when he does this kind of thing, you know, it's always got the potential for an ex- a cage bomb going off. Mm. And yeah, I mean, it's very kind of stereotypical of what you kind of see a lot of people on TV and not what they seem off mm. camera. Like they can be proper arseholes or they can just be very, very quiet and subdued. I mean, it's like me in everyday life. <laughs> then coming on here, but yeah, it's one of them things where you you can imagine a lot of people who do this kind of work are quite shy and don't really want to talk to anyone when it's when they're not at work. Mm. So yeah, I mean, it, I was proper hooked. Mm. So in the next scene, Dave Spritz he gets into an argument with the guy at the DMV. Uh, the guy recognises him and Spritz just wants to be left alone. After work, Spritz goes to pick up his daughter, Shelley. Uh, he picks her up from the ballet. His daughter is a disaffected and seemingly unhappy child. She's 12, overweight and doesn't really fit in, it appears. Again, this is all just from facial expressions and stuff. It's never really delved into any depth but you get that impression with these characters after dropping his daughter off at a convenience store without realizing that she's used his 20 dollars to buy cigarettes spritz goes to take his father to the doctors his father is robert spritzer played by michael kane putting on an american accent <laughs> his father is a national treasure a great author a man who makes dave feel inadequate Robert believes that Dave is unable to deal with his own children and it is ruining their lives. Dave is too weak to tell his dad that he's trying to get a job as a weatherman on Hello Hello America. Dave has tried to help his children. We see Dave taking his daughter to archery. She fails to fire off an arrow, so he immediately gives in and Dave lets her. Dave then goes to pick up his son, Mike, whom we see talking with his counsellor. More on that later. (laughs) On his way to work, Spritz gets hit with someone throwing a milkshake and he sees his father. He tries to smile it off as though it's just because people aren't happy that his life is so easy. He's got an easy job making good money and they're jealous of what he's got. It it was interesting this because 
we were just thinking earlier about like people who were um not not themselves in in real life to where they you know appear on on screen and what have you but this would i suppose would be the um the equivalent of like it not being quite a megastar but still being famous to be bothered and that must be a really weird like dynamic to live with as a, as a celebrity because mm. because you're not that famous i guess people think you're more approachable then because of that you probably don't have the respect of people enough to leave you alone because you are a mega celeb and they be intimidated by it especially if you're in something like the weather which is like you know they it's always they're always dead friendly aren't they over the top friendly so it must be i think they presented that really well mm I suppose it's the difference between famous and being rich, almost. Yeah. Like, once you hit the level of fame because of the money you've got, you probably won't get bothered. But if you're just a famous face on TV, but you live on the same street as most other people, Mm. it must be, yeah, it must be quite, you probably get bothered a lot more if you are someone like, I don't know, say Lewis Capaldi compared to Paul McCartney. Mm. Like, they're both sort of cheeky chappies in their past, but one is a megastar and one just seems like a normal bloke. No, no, currently. It's strange I, I think like, that must be. You know, if you're a mega celeb, but let's say you're a, you're a f- uh, famous footballer or an Alex footballer, like, uh, but you go in the pub all the time. How long before that just becomes normal? Let's say I don't know. Stan Collymore, for example, he's always like in the gym in Cannock and stuff like that, and he's always like in the pubs and that locally. But do you reckon he gets bothered every day, like like by people, or do you reckon like he goes in the same local and everyone just leaves him alone, and even though he's Stan Collymore? I think retired. For I think with you, you've picked the wrong kind of person here because yeah, it's hard yeah. to say <laughs> certain things. Um, I think if you're a retired footballer like that and that's your local, then people just leave you alone. It's not mm. like when. Um, Damon Albarn went down the red line a couple of years ago. No one bothered mm. him at all. He was just having a few beers, no problem at all. But he's like, well, for for us, you'd instantly recognise him. You think, oh wow. But you'd probably yeah. he's that level above that you wouldn't go and talk to him. Whereas mm. if you got someone like another the guitarist from the Charlatans or someone like that, he probably would be approached more. Because you you expect, like you said, you expect to be able to speak to people like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Mm. Robert tells Dave that he has lymphoma. Dave's inner monologue says that he hopes his father lives long enough to see him succeed. That seems really sad when he's like moderately successful. That he still wants more just for his father's love and recognition. Yeah, I. Uh, it's a strange one, really, because I, again, like, there were, uh, you know, this isn't the kind of podcast where we get into conversations about the relationships with our fathers, but the fact that he calls him Robert, mm. not Dad, yeah, was really um, quite weird, and I found odd and a bit uncomfortable as well. It was, uh, there was just something. The, the relationship, obviously, throughout, is a major theme in this film, uh, probably one of the reasons why I enjoyed it so much. Um, and it's kind of like, where's this? Where is this going? Is it going down the really resentful of of not having the respect and, and adoration of his father, or is it going down the um, actually it's gonna it's gonna be a, it's gonna win him over, and it's gonna be this lovely you know uh, symphatic ending or something like that? Really, really strange one. Mm. 
Uh, following work, Dave then goes to pick up Shelley once again. He takes her home. And when he returns to Shelley's house, his father is there. His father went to talk to Dave's ex-wife, Noreen, and her new partner, Russ. He went to tell them that Shelley is bullied at school and that her classmates call her camel toe because, <laughs> well, she's wearing clothes that are too tight-fitting in that area and she has a camel toe. It's another instance for Dave where he feels so his father doesn't respect him. Robert went to talk to Dave's ex about the issues and not to talk to Dave about them. So he must be feeling quite resentful towards that. So what do we think of the opening 20 minutes on this film? I'm really enjoying it. I'm enjoying the interplay between the the characters. It's setting up Nick Cage as the central part of the film, and it's going to be about his relationships within it. I'm really intrigued in what what's going to happen to Nick Cage in this movie. I think he's done a really good job for me. What do you, pair think about it? It's got really weird... Like moments like the camel toe thing, where mm. it's just mm. piss funny out of nowhere. Yeah, there's like it goes from second, literally seconds earlier, where you're talking about death and being so morbid and stuff, and then the next scene you cut to something like that. It's just chaos, but it works perfectly. And mm. I, I was that's what I I couldn't wait to do this because I I, I was really really surprised how good this was. Mm. Matt, what were your opening thoughts? I, I I loved it from the start. You know what I what I picked up on straight away was the fact that by these really random, really quick cuts to the camel toe and other things, tartar sauce, and as it goes along, <laughs> you're you're getting in your head how he feels at a million miles an hour. If they'd have told me he had ADHD, I'd have believed mm. it. Mm. Um, like you just you understand his world because of how the film presents itself. Um, I just think they did an excellent job of it, and it, much like other films that we've watched, even though not a lot is happening, like in terms of fucking cinematography and mise on set and everything else, you're mm. fully engrossed because some just something's afoot, something doesn't feel quite right, and you want to know more. Mm. Totally. Following another argument in front of their kids, Dave and Noreen decide that they need to go to therapy so that they can better present a united front for the kids. One task they have to do is to write down something which they disliked about each other in their relationships, (laughs) then hand it to their exes, knowing that the ex will never look at it. It's a trust exercise. As soon as Dave is out of sight, he opens it up and looks (laughs) at it. And then he admits to looking at it, like breaking the trust forever between him and his ex. Like there was no way back from that point. Mm-hmm. If there was ever a way back anyway, to be perfectly honest. Depression starts to set in for Dave at this point. Obviously, stuff's going to shit with his ex and his father is dying of lymphoma. Uh, he tries to gain some focus in his life. So he decides to take up archery, which his daughter had given up on. His son, Mike, appears that he is living life away from his parents. He seems to have a lot of time. A lot of the time that we see him, he's not really in the house. And the only time that we see him in the house is when shit is going bad, like we see him for the the tartar sauce argument. Everything else seems to be pushing him outside of it. He's hanging around with his counsellor. His counsellor asks him about Jim and he suggests taking topless pictures so they can compare to see in months' time to see if there's been any gains. Dave has to go to New York to interview for Hello America. He takes his father and daughter Shelley with him. 
Whilst in NYC, Dave takes Shelley shopping and sees her trying on tight-fitting clothes, showing off her camel toe. <clears throat> the way they presented that I thought was really funny. So obviously, Dave, when she walks out of the changing rooms, wearing it, you see Dave is immediately fixed on the camel toe. The camera cuts to it, but before really showing anything, it then just starts to cut to images of camel toe, actual camel's toes. I thought that was a really nice little trick that, it showed off the gag without it being sexualizing a, yeah, yeah, yeah. a young um, teenager. Mm. I thought that was really, really well done. It made it funny without it make without making you feel sleazy. Almost, that was really good. Can we can we like backtrack for just thirty seconds about? Yeah, yeah. One of, I laughed and I laughed so hard at that trust exercise when they looked at um, his one and it was blowjob uh, like enthusiasm. Her, 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 <laughs> Well, it wasn't even the fact they didn't say blowjobs. They said your your BJ's lack enthusiasm. <laughs> oh god, that was so f- honestly. I laughed so much at that because it was just like this is so real life, isn't it? Like, but these are these are like arguments is that it? couples have. No, these are arguments <laughs> that like couples have, and this is like the trust exercise in the council and everything else. I was like, God, this is this is just hilarious. It just proper mm. proper tickled me, and then it's. How this film goes from bleak to funny to bleak to funny and zigzags all over the place, I just think is really, really excellent. Mm, it is. It's it's so true to life because life is never a comedy. It's never gag, 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 gag. It's never drama where it's just depressing throughout. You do get moments of levity with moments of sadness, and that's what this film gives you. And I think that... It, Verbinski's like balanced it out really, really fucking well with this movie. Following seeing the camel toe, Dave tries to talk to his daughter. He asks her, do kids call you names? Uh, She says that they call her camel toe. And he wants to know if she understands why the kids call her that. She says it's because camel toes are tough. They can walk all over the desert and the hot rocks. I'm tough. Honestly, my heart was breaking a little bit for the kids here. Like, fucking good for you, kiddo, for not putting up with that shit and turning a negative into a positive. I thought that was really well done. They head back to the shop. Dave then buys her skirts and dresses and hats. And for the first time, we see Shelley happy. Like, she's bouncing off the walls. She's genuinely delighted with everything. It's really uplifting to see that because the only other times we've seen her, everything's been said through a bit of a grimace. Really lovely that was. Upon returning to the hotel, Robert tells Dave that his son Mike has been arrested for fucking up his councillor's car. Mike says that he chucked a rock through the window of the councillor's car because the councillor tried to suck him off. His councillor said that Mike tried to steal his wallet. If this wasn't bad enough, Dave then finds out that his father only has months to live. Following a late night... Just up all night, worrying, waking hallucinations of reconciliation with his wife and family. No sleep, lots of alcohol. Dave heads for his big meeting with Hello America. Upon returning to Chicago, the whole family meet up to discuss Mike. Unable to keep it in, Dave slowly removes his gloves and then slaps Noreen's boyfriend, Russ, round the face. (laughs) I love that. Again, like you said, we've had all this unremitting shit 
of his kid being arrested, his father's dying, and then he just slowly peels his gloves off and slaps him like he's a fucking 13th century gentleman. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> Dave is trying to hold it all together, but really he's falling apart. His archery is helping him with the focus, but his family life is not family life is not going to plan at all. His mom is planning a living funeral for the father, and some pricks have thrown more food at him. <laughs> and then he gets a call from Hello America. They've offered him the job. With this new life on the horizon and a substantial increase in wages, he speaks to Noreen, hoping for reconciliation. She tells him that she's marrying Russ. Dave goes to his car, he gets out his bone arrow and starts to shoot at the trees. He sees Russ, he trains his eye on him, removes an arrow from the quiver, notches the arrow, draws and holds. I loved the tension in that scene. Mm. Just holding the, the arrow there, just constantly on Russ. Russ then recognises that Dave is there and he moves over to be with Noreen and with Robert and that's when the tension breaks because Dave then lowers his weapon. Like, I did genuinely think for a minute he's going to try and shoot the cigarette out of Russ's mouth. I thought it was going to be that kind of thing where he's going to let it go, but he manages to hold it all together. I thought it was going to go... For... The way things were going and how, how everything was falling apart at that point for him, I fully expected it to go full on like, chaos and slapstick. I thought mm. he's, he's going to kill him somehow. He's going to... He's... <laughs> Uh, that's what I expected it to. I mean, when he, mm. when he drew his his arrow at him, I thought something's going to go down here, and he's going to do him in. <laughs> and then when it didn't happen, I thought, oh, okay, mm. yeah. Before uh, before Robert, no, before Dave is able to give his speech for Robert at the living funeral, there's a power cut. Once the power comes back on, though, everyone has forgotten that Dave was about to speak, and the night just moves on. So Dave is never able to give his father that speech that night. Mike and Dave, the few thing. Oh, sorry. Mike gives Dave the few things which his counselor had given him. So a sweatshirt and a, a camera. Dave visits the counselor and kicks the fuck out of him, threatening the pedo. Whilst all this is going on, he's thinking about all the times that people have thrown food and drink at him. Where he once felt that it was because the throwers were jealous, he realises that because to them he's just a clown. They throw fast food because it's cheap and disposable. Dave spritz his fast food in his mind. Dave sees his father. He tells Robert that he's fixed the situation with Mike's counsellor. His dad says, well done. And then tells him that he's been offered the job for Hello America, but Noreen is marrying Russ and that he just can't hold it all together. I really enjoyed this scene in the car between uh, Dave and Robert. I thought it was really well done. Um, it's the moment that you realise that Dave has spent his life trying to impress his dad. Earlier in the film, Robert said that the harder thing to do in life and the right thing are often the same thing. And he also says that nothing that has any meaning is easy. But Dave has struggled to implement this throughout his whole life, seemingly never feeling as though he's able to be enough in his father's eyes. But when Robert here says, good job, and you always worry about your kids, no matter how old, you see the look on Dave's face, like he lights up. Mm. That moment is the first time that he, he looks like he's ever fully understood his father and that his father has ever really endorsed him. His parting words, in this shit life, you must chuck some things. I really liked that as well. I thought it was quite nice that don't hold on to anything, just sometimes let it go. 
That was a really lovely scene. Following the father's funeral, Dave goes to work in New York. We see him happy. Where at the start of the film, he denies being the weatherman just for an easy life. He's accepting of who he is now. His family's behind in Chicago. They're also happier than when we first met them. And whilst life doesn't always work out as planned, and accepting that isn't easy, but easy doesn't enter into grown-up life. That's the end of the film. Lovely. So this budget was $22 million. This is Gore Verbinski's lowest budget movie. And I think it feels like it. Like, it almost feels like an indie. I think mm, this does. one does. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it does. It has the heart of an indie, though, which money mm. can't buy. So it, fair play to him to be able to get that across. Yeah. If that's not your wheelhouse. You don't, you know, you can't manufacture that by spending money on it. You can't get that feel by paying someone. Do you know what mm. I mean? Yeah. The box office returns were 19 million, so it didn't quite make its money back. Uh, it's obviously nowhere near the top of the box office tray for 2005. Uh, once again, the top five were made up of three franchises and two remakes. Mate, two remakes. Honestly, the whole top ten for 2005 is very meh. There's a couple of okayish films, like one really good one, but meh. so it was Goblet of Fire, Episode Three. Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, War of the Worlds, King Kong, Madagascar, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Batman Begins, and Hitch. Like that, that's quite a shit top ten, to be honest. Like eight of those films are awful. Well, not awful, but just <laughs> not not anything special. Um, obviously, Batman Begins is the one that really stands out for me personally. Anything if, there that you've? Yeah, if you. Take the last five minutes out of War of the Worlds. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty excellent, I thought. There's another I think one that's in there, the though. only one I've not watched, actually, is War of the Worlds. Uh, what, was mm. your, what was after War of the Worlds in, the, in your list, then? Uh, War of the Worlds, King Kong, Madagascar. King Kong, was, King Kong as well was, you know, pretty good, I thought. Mm. I don't think it's held up. I watched it a couple of years back, and it's not quite the same. Plus, like, I feel like Jack Black was wasted in that film. Mm, potentially. Mm. Speaking of which, uh, I watched School of Rock a couple of weeks ago. Oh, my God. That was just incredible. I, I nearly how, watched it last night. Yeah, I forgot I how like um, how many one-liners that are in there that are just hilariously delivered. It's very Tenacious D for obvious reasons. Mm. But like the Tenacious D like skit shows prior to like the albums and everything else, it, was just, it just has that feel. Just, just wonderful. Yeah, I, I genuinely think School of Rock is as close to perfect as you'll get. I think it's, yeah, such a good film. So before I give you the scores, what are you thinking the scores are going to be? Stu? Eight. Has to be. For for both audience and critics? Audience eight. I mean, critics, you'll get the usual. But so, okay, I'll let six, five, seven for critics, but audience eight. I'd be amazed mm. if it's less than that. Matt, what do you think? I think it'll be the other way around. I think critics will like it. The, the the general filthy public won't like it as much. So I'll probably go like the reverse to Stu. Kind okay. of sixes and that for, for critics. Right. Uh, so audience. On IMDb, it got a 6.5. The Metacritic was a 61. The Rotten Tomatoes audience score was a 56. And the critical was a 59. It got a very middling response. Oh, I'm harsh. genuinely quite shocked at that. That is harsh. Very mm. harsh, actually. 
Yeah. So the critical response was, I, I say it was mostly positive, but it was never overly effusive. Like it was, it was mostly okay rather than that was great. Um, Zadie Smith from the Daily Telegraph. It's a deeply honest and comic performance and seems filled with all of genuine humiliations that one imagines Cage himself has suffered in the past 10 years. Peter Travers from Rolling Stone said that in the face of a character no one cares about, can audiences be faulted for asking, why should we? I don't think, like, we care about him because he's the central protagonist and everything is through his eyes. I, I, I don't know. That seems a bit of a disingenuous um, mm. critique for me. Uh, Marjorie Baumgarten from Austin Chronicle summed it up perfectly. Towards the end of the film, Robert Spritzel remarks on his son's deeds by calling them an American accomplishment. At once superficial and yet meaningful. The phrase encapsulates the paradox of our and this film's dreams and ambitions. Yeah, at once superficial and yet meaningful. I think that is the core of this film. It is both those things being at war with each other. Hmm. I th- yeah, I thought it was really... For me, that's the perfect critique. And finally, Sarah Michelle Fetters from The Movie Freak. Uh, she says that Steve Conrad's dazzling script is something else entirely. It is life, and not just any life, but of an ordinary man looking through the prisms of his apprehension and asking, is this really all I am? Uh, there wasn't really anything that interesting on Amazon.com. It was. Um, it got a four out of five. There was... 57% five-star reviews and the remaining 43 were pretty much evenly split. It was mm. everything you expect. There was nothing. <clears throat> there was so many ones that just said thank you and great film. There was nothing really to pick out, unfortunately, for this section, which is quite surprising because we usually find <laughs> the gold. some batshit stuff in there. But yeah, sadly, nothing on this one. <clears throat> so good, bad, crazy. Matt, kick us off, please. So the good was the themes kind of throughout the film. Um, the big hitters, really, you've got like the relationship with his dad, the relationship kind of with his kids and the overwhelming kind of feelings of like inadequacy that he suffers about himself and his career and his ego and everything else. Like there was some, there, there were, this very easily could have, Because it was trying to explore so many different things, like do it in a really diluted way, but I don't think it did. I think everything that they tried to achieve, they, they did it really, really well. The stuff with the stuff with his relationship with, with his dad was really was really excellent, really touching, and um, personally for me, like was quite emotional. And I just think that the, the themes that they covered, like especially then when it mixed in with the like the comic elements of it as well, was just delivered in a really really good way it wasn't diluted for hollywood at all it was genuine mm. it was real it, it had genuine emotion to it and i think they did a, a fantastic job with it um the bad <clears throat> it just lacked a little bit of bite with these things i needed it to be a little more al dente a little more t- i wanted <laughs> i understand that at the end he can't like they can't make it if they want it to be the everyman they can't make it a super happy ending. Like I understand that, but I almost wanted it to, um, 
go a little bit further into either depression or it get that little bit worse for him to have mm. some form of a of, of a of a redemption arc to it a little bit more than they had. I think it just lacked that little tiny bit of bite that um I, yeah. and I understand it's the everyman, so I get it, but I wish it just had a little bit more. Mm. I like I got over the fact it wasn't falling down very quickly because it was excellently done. And I don't. I'm not saying it should have gone down that route, but um, it was just a. It just needed a little bit more, a little bit more yeah. gut punching, or, or just to just to put the you know the cherry on the icing on the cake. The crazy was just was just how relatable it was to me and every and like everybody. Everybody suffers with something that happened in Nick Cage's character's life in the, in this in this film. We all think you know. We all question. Uh, you know the things that we do are, are people judging us we all feel that sometimes we're ignored and we all feel that you know people don't see us how we want to present ourselves and it was painfully relatable at parts as well um but then at the same time you realize that you you, you you're not going through these things yourself either so um i i just had no i had no idea going into this film that i would a enjoy it as much as i did and b i'd come out of it just thinking wow this was like completely relatable. Mm. Yeah, it, it's a bit of a surprise hit for me. This one also. Uh, Stu, good, bad, and crazy. The good was kind of Matt's bad. I, I liked the fact that it ended like it did, just because it was. If it had gone all Hollywood ending over it, I would have been really pissed off. Mm. Just mm. the fact that it was just okay. Well, yeah, he got promotion. He doesn't get his wife back. He doesn't get to see his kids. He lives in a different place. They're still fuck ups, and it's just that's his life. He still gets food thrown at him sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was just how it was so real. Like you said, it was excellent, and mm. you don't really see that very often. And is it even billed as a comedy? I suppose it's a dark comedy more than anything else. Because mm. um, you can't really. <sighs> It's hard to even explain what this film is to anyone because mm. it's like, well, yeah, it's a bloke whose who's life's fell apart, his kids are a bit messed up, but it's funny as well. It sounds a bit stupid, but it's not at all. It's got mm. so many more... I mean, me talking about this kind of thing, It's it's got so many more layers than... I think we've even given it credit for even talking about it so far, and I thought it was just absolutely excellent. Spoil it now. This is going second in my list. Oh wow! Okay, I absolutely adore this film. It You're was right, br- it was yeah. brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And I've spoken to a lot of people since. I mean, I, I watched this weeks ago, um, just just to so we could get it out of the way before certain other events were happening. Um, time this <laughs> a bit, but I really want to go and watch it again already because. I've spoken to people saying you need to watch this film because it is really, really excellent. And no one has a clue about it. No one. I mean, I'm not even there's no for me, there's no bad point at all. Other than I mean, you could probably say, yeah, okay, trim about ten minutes off it, make it a bit snappier here and there, or whatever. But other than that, I just adored it. It was just wonderful from start to finish. Mm. Um the crazy, obviously you're a character that's in it for one scene saying She's a little cunt. I hate that little cunt. 
<laughs> yeah, um, Shelley's friends. Shelley's friends are the, on the bench. The only contribution to the whole film, and that's the line that she comes out with. <laughs> Genius. Yeah, I mean, Quentin, two thousand five American film. It's, yes. Yeah. It. Um, yeah, it certainly made me wake up. Like, Hang on, did they just call her a cunt? Yeah. Very good. Uh, my good. Oh, I, I enjoyed all of the acting. If I'm being perfectly honest, I've criticised Kane a lot for, especially his late '90s stuff. Um, but I thought he was decent in this, but I will come on to it a little bit more in a minute. Um, I thought his wife, she just felt like a woman on edge trying to hold everything together. I thought she was really well done. Um, the boyfriend seemed like such a snide prick. And I get why Dave hated him, because I hated him. Because he just seemed like he was this arsehole who was just always fucking there, in the mm. way, annoying. That, I mean, that's just well acted. And Shelley, I thought, was fantastic. <laughs> Like, she played her character to perfection. You got the the arc of her. It was really well done from, like, disillusioned, angsty, pissed-off kid. Like, it's all too much trouble for her. And then she's just happy. And I really enjoyed that arc for her. Yeah, some of the comedic lines. I loved, like you mentioned, with the, the blowjobs, the BJ's line. And Shelley just appears in the background whilst they're mid-argument. Just <laughs> perfectly timed. Uh, yeah. The comedy in general, I thought, was definitely placed right because they were always after moments of despair, like finding out the kid's being bullied, then you get a gag, then it's camel toe. Mm. The father's going to die, and then you get a gag. And Yeah, I, I, they did that really well, I thought. <clears throat> the bad, I would have liked a little bit more Nick Holt, if I'm honest. His character didn't really get a massive amount of screen time, but I felt like his story was really important. So the scene where we get, or we don't even see the scene where his counsellor tries to suck him off, but that's the turning point of the film. Like that's the, the lowest point for the characters and then it's all uphill from there. Yeah. And I felt like we could have got a little bit more Nick Holt in this movie just to, to bring out the, the paedophile story a little bit more. Because it was kind of underplayed, but maybe that was the point it was supposed to be. Like, it was underplayed and, like, there was hints towards it, but it was never, like, properly fully brought out. So, I don't know. I, I think I'd liked a bit more Nicole, personally. I think if, uh, they, if they'd have gone into it a bit more, it would have took it into a very dark place. Um, you, you, can't look- get out of, you can't get out of that gag with a gag, can you, really? No, exactly. Well, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> no pun intended. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my crazy, this is Nick Holt's first film stateside. Obviously, we'd seen him in About a Boy, which was mostly UK-based, but three years later, he's taken a shot at America. Um, another crazy thing, so Nick, um, not Nick Cage, Michael Caine. So, I think this might be the film that started the renaissance of Michael Caine. Because prior to this, you were looking at shit like Goldmember or his walk-on part in fucking Alfie. Like, he was doing stuff that was Michael Caine parodies. He was mm. doing stuff that people would not take seriously. They were dog shit. He then does this film with an actor the calibre of Nick Cage. And then all of a sudden he's going on doing Batman Begins, Children of Men, The Prestige. Like he's back into the swing of it. So I kind of wonder if this might have been the turning point for the, the second act of Michael Caine's film career. When was um, Harry Brown? Was it after that? Yeah, I think it was 2006. I could be wrong. I haven't got the list in front of me. I'm sure it was after that, though. Yeah. 
Uh, and the thing, uh, internal monologue, I found out this week, something like only 29% of humans have an internal monologue. Like some people don't think in words in their heads. It's actually the minority. Most people, they like see images. Like they wouldn't think I need to go to the shop and get milk. They would just see an image of milk in their mind. That hmm. blows my mind. I assumed everybody like spoke to themselves with their internal monologue. But yeah, apparently that's the um, the minority. So you, you're saying that you, you hear voices? I hear saying? my own <laughs> voice. I hear my own voice narrating my life. But yeah. So did you enjoy the film, Stu? Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> yeah, plain and simple, yeah. Superb. Yeah. Matt? Yeah, wonderful, wonderful film that was, um, you know, a massive pleasant surprise as well. Like I said to you on uh, WhatsApp, this is going to be, it's got to be up there as the biggest sleeper film mm. for me. It is in film I had no, I had no preconceptions about, but enjoyed the most. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it as well. Like it was a nice film about the human condition. I don't think we've really seen Cage in this type of a movie um, up until this point in his career. This is almost as indie as Cage has been. Mm. Possibly not in budget because we it was still over twenty million, but in style, very indie. So based on this film and this film alone, was Cage good or was Cage bad? Stu? Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's it's like award winning good, but he was superb in what he did. Yeah, Matt. Yeah, he, he was. He was spectacular by being unspectacular because he was the everyman. He was the everyman mm. that has the same fears, anxieties, and thoughts as everybody else. Like I knew that that he was portraying this so well when he's doing that tartar sauce scene, and he's, he's being, and then he's looking at that woman's ass, and he's like, "God, I just want to bury my face in that." What's but so and so is so and so, and he goes off on these different tangents, and he, we are all just him mm. in some way or another. Do you know what I mean? We've all got the flaws. He, he he's just an, a, a culmination of of the flaws that that the male psyche has. You know, I will say I've never had sex dressed as Abe Lincoln, so that's that's <laughs> one that's one thing you haven't. Not that I, not that I can remember anyway. <laughs> that that surprises me with you, Shu. Um, yeah, on this one again, fully in agreement with both of you. I thought he held this film together. He was the glue that bound the darkly comic and the heartfelt and the depressing. He, he held it all together. He was really, really good. So, finish the sentence. If you enjoyed the Weatherman, you might you might also like Matt. Wanted to go, uh, I couldn't decide between the two. So I'm going to go with um, American Beauty. In We've got a kind of midlife crisis arc going on. Somebody that's kind of lost control that goes through a semi-transformation. Well, well, not a semi, a major transformation. I mean, it's, it's obviously a very different film. With, it, mm. But it's, it's, it's that extreme I was kind of talking about that I wanted from this. It has that in it. It, it goes that little bit further. Um, but I also wanted to use um, Warrior as well for an unlikely father-son storyline that actually was a surprising, shows a surprising amount of depth in that film, that a film about MMA cage fighting you wouldn't expect. Mm. Good choice. It's interesting you went for um, 
American Beauty, because that one also has a non-storyline in there. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, I've also gone with two. I couldn't quite decide on which one, but I've gone for the elements on this film that it's... So Dave Spritz wants to be loved. Like, he clearly sees part of his adult life journey having a wife and family, and obviously it didn't work out as planned. So my two recommendations, I've gone for the first one, which is starring, written, and directed by Josh Radner, who you probably know as Ted from um, How I Met Your Mother. It's called Happy Thank You More, Please. That's all one word. Um, it's a story about being on that precipice between physically being an adult, but actually becoming grown up. If you can understand what I mean, they're like... I'm not there yet. Yeah, like, I I totally get it. And the other one I've got is a film called Adult Life Skills, which is available on Netflix. It stars Brett Goldstein and Jodie Whittaker. And they play, again, two grown-ups who are both on that line between being a legal adult and actually being a grown-up. I've always said the problem with being in my 30s is I feel no different to when I was 17. Mm. And both of these films sort of deal with that inner conflict of... You know, you always imagine when you're a kid, when you hit 18 and it's legal to drink and be an adult, everything changes and it absolutely doesn't. And that's what both of those films deal with. Stu, what's your recommendation or recommendations? I'll be devastated when that happens to me, you know. I mean, life's over now. We're wearing tweed. Um, There's nothing wrong with tweed. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just sell before your time. Completely different direction with this. Um, Shelley reminded me 100% of Thurman Merman. <laughs> and it, it, it is, it's the same thing. It's, a, yeah, it's it a, a loser kid who comes good in the end. So, yeah, bad Santa. Very mm. completely off, off kilter. But for that one character, it's the same. Good choice. Yeah, I do love that movie. I haven't seen, have you seen the second one? Yeah, yeah. It was all right. I, say, I, I never got around to the sequel. Yeah, it was okay. I mean, it's nothing. It's nothing. I mean, it's nice that they're waiting for him to be older. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's nothing. It's out on a par with the first. But it's, it's, okay. When when the time comes, in uh, however many months it is. Yeah, a few months of time. Okay, yeah, I'll I'll try and watch that one this year. I think. Lovely. So that's another Nick Cage movie in the record books. So get in contact with us on cagefightingpod at gmail.com or if you prefer to tweet, then get at us on at cagefightingpod. Please let your friends know what you've been listening to and if you can spare a few minutes to leave a review, that would make our day. Thanks again for sticking with us and just giving us your time. We, We do love what we do and we like the fact that you're there to just give us a bit of time. So for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, guys. Look after yourselves. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? If you don't want your father to think you're a silly fuck, don't slap a man with a glove. (laughs) And it's goodbye from me. And remember, camel toes are tough, and so are you. This shit life. We must chuck some things. We must chuck them. In this shit life.
Bears always looking after. You have time. <laughs>